lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 177 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, March the 4th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank Josh Adams from 90s Auctions for joining us last week. Also let you know, two hours from now, we're going to be back with After Hours. Joe Perot will be joining me tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern. We have Collectible Live. Our guest will be Ryan Friedman. He is the founder of Auction Report. Check that out tomorrow, Collectible Live, 7 o'clock Eastern on this channel. And then later that day, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, the PWCC weekly hockey auction coverage with the Hockey Cards Gong Show's Josh Madigan. And we have his partner as our special guest, Troy Iverson. That is tomorrow, 9.30 Eastern. So this is uh, this is show one of four for me between now and tomorrow night. By the way, next Saturday, no episode. I have a another personal obligation, so we'll not be doing a show next Saturday. I'd like to ask you all to join over 300,000 people who have already downloaded the Center Stage app. That is this app right here across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, and share your collection with friends and find other collectors to follow using their new social sharing features. They have some exciting new partnerships coming soon. Please stay tuned and join me in supporting the great team they have and the innovation they are undertaking. And one more, I want to let you know, new show sponsor, Veriswap. Veriswap, everybody. Uh, this is kind of funny. Use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade through the mail, every transaction up to $1 million in value is fully insured by their guarantee. In order to use Veriswap, simply upload your inventory, make trade, partial trade, or full cash offers, and negotiate with the thousands of traders already on the platform. Check them out on iOS and Android. And as part of a special offer, your first trade on Veriswap is only $1. There's a referral link in the video description for this video tonight. For your convenience, again, everybody at Veriswap, I want to thank them for supporting Sports Cards Live, partnering with us, and I wish them all the best. I want to thank all of our loyal viewers and listeners, and as always, if you are not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. And as always, tonight, your comments and questions are in play, so let's get to it. All right, tonight's guest started in the hobby in the 80s when his parents gave him a box of 1986 Topps baseball. He collected until 1995, and then in 2019, his buddy dragged him back in, and he was fascinated by group breaking. He took on breaking himself in 2020 and 2021, and in spring of 2022, Waxstat was born. His favorite teams are the San Francisco Giants, the 49ers, the Golden State Warriors, and his favorite athletes are Michael Jordan, Joe Montana, and Will Clark, who seemingly doesn't get any hobby love, originally from San Francisco, California, currently hailing from Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's bring him out. Al Turwell, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you today? Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm doing quite well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, hey, man, you are you are welcome. Uh, it's it's a long time coming. You having 
It's a long time coming having you on the show. Uh, we talked about this quite some time ago, so I, uh, I'm glad we made it happen. As I said, took a bit of time, but uh, thank you for being patient. And I hope that tonight, uh, you know, was, makes it worth the wait for you. You know, I've, I've always been fascinated by by your words of wisdom and your advice on Sports Cars Live. And you know, I've I've, I've reached out to you a long time ago, and I'm I'm so grateful for, to be on the show this evening. Well, you bet, man. And we met we've met in person a few times. Saw you recently at the Burbank show. Uh, saw you at the Beckett Industry Summit back in uh, October, I believe it was. So you're someone, I mean, you're out and about. You're at all the events. You were just at the Tops Conference in Arizona last weekend. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. We're going to hear your, your full report from there. But let me just let me just ask you this kind of to kick it off. What do you, what do you love about going to, to events within the sports card world? It's a good question. Um, I think everyone has, 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 is drawn to the hobby in, in so many different ways. Some people chase the cardboard. Some people chase the, the riches or the treasure chest that, that, that cardboard can, can yield. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to deny any of those things. I think what I really, really enjoy is the camaraderie, the, the, the social aspect of it. I like talking to people. I like hearing their stories. I like seeing why is somebody have a Will Clark personal collection and, you know, thinking, are they really cool or are they just crazy? Right. Like those are the types of stories I get and, and, and just building these relationships and, and seeing why people, you know, do what they do in the hobby. It, it really fascinates me. Yeah. Cause I, I gotta say, when I see you kind of work in the shows, not just the shows, the events, you're very engaged. You're very engaging. You know, you're, you're always talking to somebody, you've got your camera in hand, you're looking to document and just, it seems like you really like to soak up the information. Is that an accurate sort of assessment? I like, I like so soaking up the, not only the information, but, but the atmosphere. I, I, I really do. I, I, I think, you know, I, I carry my camera around. I've always carried my camera around since that 1986 box of tops as well. Um, you know, I, I like documenting stuff and, and just seeing the candid expressions of everybody and, and and seeing what makes them tick, and, and I, I think pictures just just show you know they, they 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 show so much more than what you see there, and 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 that's why I really enjoy the the card shows. I really do. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So before we jump in and get into your your hobby history, we're going to talk about Waxstat, the project that yeah. you have on the go, uh, and I'm guessing it's one of a few. We're going to talk about the Tops Conference. Let's go to the let's go to the comments. There's uh, an inordinate amount of, of comments at this point of the show. I think you brought a great audience with you. So I want to I want to thank you for that. And also, Al, I got to tell you, the little uh, the, the reel that you did on Instagram early this morning, I think I saw it when I went to bed late last night, uh, was one of the best sort of uh, guest guest reels that has ever been done uh, in, in advance of appearing on on my show or maybe any show for that matter in our space. So I wanted to thank you for that. Uh, we have uh, NGO Hitter says Al's the goat. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a goat, Al. Dimitri in the house. There you are saying thank you. Very nice. Thank Mike you. Chu, what's going on? David Prince, couldn't wait. Chris Saunders, good to see you. Justin Bode is here. Paradise Card Breaks. Yvette Die, 40 more minutes. Yeah, this is already 40 minutes before we went live. Uh, GM10 is here. Good to see you. Welcome. Mark Santucci, hello. Jake Dahl. We got Sheldon Fishman in here. What's going on, Sheldon? Jeff McMahon. Hello, everyone. Looking forward to the show. Hello, 
to you, Jeff. We've got uh, we've got Sports MD Collector. What's going on, Underdog Collectibles? Oh, Matrix is here. Lots of Will Clark collectors, says Jake yeah. Dahl. It's funny because I don't ever see anything about Will Clark anywhere. I mean, you you mentioned it to me the other day, Alan. I'm like, I mean, I remember Will Clark in the late '80s. He was a stud. Why doesn't he get any hobby love now? Or, or why aren't I seeing the hobby love that he is apparently getting? You know what? I, I feel that that's a very good question. You know, I think, first of all, Will Clark has the sweetest left-handed swing out there. You know, hands down, you know, forget everybody else. Um, why he doesn't get hobby love? I mean, he never got a championship. We, we With the Giants, he had a, a couple good runs there. Um, and, and when you're surrounded by other first basemen, I mean, Manningly was out there. McGuire was the big dog out there. Um, you know, he just got pushed down and, and that's unfortunate, but man, that guy, that guy, the San Francisco Barry just loved Will Clark and they still do. They still do. As they should, as they should. We got Magpie in the house. What's going on? Chris C. Hello to you. Daniel says San Fran, home of the Tanner family. Uh, what's that? Uh, uh, what was that show? Full house. Is that a full house reference? I thought yes, so. I thought out. Mr. All In says, this guy wears an L.A. Dodgers cap to remember his name. That's pretty smart, Al. Good stuff. GM10, Alan, I know him. Very good. We've got Mark, uh, a lot of maze cards. GM10 says, question for Waxat. What's the most interesting card you have, and can we see it? Do you have any cards to show tonight? I have. So that's a really good question. I actually... Most of the cards that I have actually have a very special meaning to me. And so I can actually go grab one here. Let's let's go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. No, um, do it. I'm going to do a couple. Underdog Collectible says Waxstat okay. is genius. We love using it. That's great. Colin Murray, what's going on? We got Jeremy Fowl Fieball. Twizzard is here. Lots and lots of people out there. Matrix, hello to you. Uh, gosh, Dan Lorber, Bay Area, Barry Bonds fan. Great to have yeah. you. Good stuff. Look, Underdog says, some great folks on the show tonight to support Al. Very cool. I love it. Daniel says, Olerud had the sweetest lefty swing. He had a pretty sweet So I used to watch a lot yeah. of John Olerud back in the day. Mark wants to know, do you have a lot of, a lot, do you have a lot of Joe Montana rookies? So I, I don't have a Joe Montana rookie. I am actively looking for Joe Montana. Um, I do have a few Joe Montana cards back here, um, but they're not necessarily my, my favorite, favorite ones um, that are readily available. But um, I mean, Joe, Joe Montana is the goat in my book as far as football goes. I, I'm not going to argue with you there. Underdog, what's yeah. going on? Welcome to you, to the show. All right. You want to show your one of your favorite cards before we get into so, things? The 2020, what year are we? 2021 um, Chicago National was the first national that I ever attended. And it's actually a very special place um, because I met so many people that I am good friends with today. Um, And so every time I go to a national, um, I like picking up, um, believe it or not, Eddie Murray cards. Um, So don't, 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 don't throw off the whole market guys out there. Um, I like picking up Eddie Murray cards whenever I see them. Um, this one is just, I don't really care too much about the condition or it, but, um, and I'm dating myself, but this is, uh, my birth year set and the 1978 tops baseball, uh, is one of the sets I have at my parents' house and it, and I have it very close to my heart. So 
I always collect Eddie Murray whenever I see him, even though he went to the Dodgers later in his career. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for showing that GM 10. I think you asked that question. I think that's Bill. Good free, good stuff. Uh, Al, thanks for showing. So let's, let's learn a a little bit about you a little bit more than we already know, a bit about your hobby history. You mentioned, and I mentioned your intro that, uh, you know, back in the, 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 what was it? The late eighties, you, uh, in 86, you got that tops baseball box. Talk to us, tell us about your, your hobby history and um, yeah, man, just, just take us through, let everybody get to know Absolutely. you. So I was born obviously in the seventies and I grew up in the eighties in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, my parents, as you mentioned, handed me two things. Uh, one was the 1986 box of tops, which got me into the whole baseball card hobby. Um, and they handed me a computer and because I really wanted baseball cards and I really wanted a computer. And those two have just been tied to my hip uh, since the mid mid eighties. And I, as I progressed through the hobby, I continued doing the hobby, but I, I started to learn how to code, do computer programming. And that's just been one of my passions in life. Um, and I eventually went to school and had a career in computer programming. Um, getting back to the card hobby, uh, baseball was always my love. It still is my love, even though the Giants aren't doing too well right now. Um, I collected baseball pretty much from the mid 80s into well into the 90s. Uh, mostly a set collector. I just, the, the concepts of inserts were, you know, tiny at best. And so we chased, I would rip open packs, which were relatively affordable back then. And my mom and dad and me, and we would just rip open packs, slide them into the binder. And once we found that one, once we finished the set, we'd go on to something else. Um, so it was more of a, a family affair of that. Um, and I started growing up and, and I continued doing that into the mid nineties um, and started adding, you know, basketball and football, but mostly baseball. And uh, you took a break sort of in 95 or so. And, and I mean, listen, your, your break lasted quite a few years. If I recall, 95 to about 2019, but you weren't, you're, you're, the collecting gene in you wasn't dormant during those years. What else were you doing? What else were you collecting? So you, you hit a right point there. My mom was a, a stamp and coin collector growing up. So she's got the collecting gene in, or I got the collecting gene in me. Um, I, you know, I, I got into high school into the mid nineties, um, started, uh, you know, doing the high school thing. And I got away from the hobby, but I started collecting, you know, clothes and really shoes. I was a big Air Jordan fan. Um, Michael Jordan is one of my favorite athletes. And so I was actually, and maybe I, I wouldn't call myself a pioneer, but I would buy with whatever allowance or whatever summer job I had, I would buy as many Air Jordan shoes um, as I could. I'd wear them and beat them up. And I kept on doing that from high school to college and to well into the 2000s into 2000 teens and uh, um, did a lot of uh, did, just did a lot of sneaker collecting then. And so what can you, you know, we hear a lot about sneaker heads moving from sneakers or, or maybe staying with sneakers, but moving into sports cards. We've heard a lot of that over the last couple of years as someone who I guess I could call you a sneaker head. Maybe that's just what we call people who collect sneakers. Um, what can you tell us sort of about the similarities and because listen, I've been a card guy my whole life. I never collected sneakers. I own one, one collectible pair of sneakers now, but certainly not a sneaker head. So what can you kind of share with us about some of the similarities or what was, what was it like for sneakerheads coming into sports cards and were they 
destined to stick around in sports cards? Are they sticking around? Can you shed some light on that for us, if you don't mind. So in the 90s and 2000s, it was always who had the freshest sneakers on, right? We'd go to the house parties, we'd go to the dances, and we'd go, you know, we'd go out with our friends. And, you know, it really came down to, to who can flex the nicest pair of shoes. And, and that really was, at least at that time, that was the motivation. Um, you know, I, I liked the design. I genuinely enjoyed the design of the shoe. Why did Nike do this? Why did Nike do that? Why did Adidas do this? Why did Adidas do that? And I, you know, I would look at it. I would just stare at these shoes because I just, I'd walk into Foot Locker and I'm just like, wow, these are really pretty shoes. And then, you know, during that time, I mean, you could really get any pair of shoes you wanted. It just really, your limiting factor was how much money did you have in your pocket? And, and it really wasn't until I would say the early 2000s when Nike started to re-release um, shoes from the 80s and 90s. And I guess that generation, my generation, started to develop a disposable income. And so we started chasing all those. And the concept of one to rock and one to stock uh, came about. And so I started collecting all these and believe it or not, my first eBay purchase, and this must have been in 1998 or 1999, was a pair of Air Jordan 8 Aqua shoes. And, and that really kind of just opened up. You know, I thought eBay was just weird back in the 90s. And, and I was like, okay, this works. Somebody actually sent me a pair of shoes. I paid them money. I mailed them a check and they sent me shoes. And, and that concept, that trust, that, that you know, I, I, I see where we were then and where we're at now with cars, I, I think sneaker collectors were always, you know, at that time we're chasing the dragon, chasing the newest things and chasing the limited edition shoes. And I really see that in the card collectors. Like what, what is the next card that you can buy? What's the next card that your friends or your peers do not have? And so I see all that. And it's, it's very fascinating how there's a lot of parallels. So it sounds like like sneaker collectors would have been almost predisposed to coming in and collecting sports cards once they were made aware of it and and really exposed to the sports card hobby. Do you think that of the of the many sneaker heads who came into sports cards, you know, during the pandemic, do you think that like are a lot of them still going to be card are they going to be card collectors or are they just going to be card dealers and and flippers as we as we call them? You know, it's a good question. I think there's always going to be that group of people that see the arbitrage or see an opportunity to buy low and immediately sell high. Um, and that will that that doesn't matter what industry there is. Now, I believe in, you know, 2020 during just around the pandemic that you started seeing a sudden surge of people come into the hobby that had no you know, they had no reason to be in there. Um, and, and a lot of those people from what, from my observations, and I don't have accurate data here, but I, I do see some people that came in and I have some friends that came in and they are out and it's, it's, and I, I think that's, that's for the better. Um, I, however, I, I, I embrace, I've embraced my card collecting hobby again and it really is just, it's, it's lit a fire and I'm just really passionate about, you know, just the whole industry and the whole community of card collectors now. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's get off sneakers and focus more on cards now. Uh, Catherine from Magpie says the hunt in terms of chasing that next big pair of sneakers. Catherine was our guest on this show, episode 164. We got all into Magpie and what that is. So everyone can go back and check that out if you'd like, if you missed that episode back when we broadcast it originally, uh, which was just back in December, Catherine, I believe. Uh, We have Eric in the house. What's going on, Eric? Good evening to you. Uh, Jake says, I remember being Joe Montana in Tecmo Bowl, the best in those games for sure. Jake says, I'm looking for a Murray rookie myself. Uh, Chrissy here, uh, says eddie murray underrated and undervalued but i like this comment right here from chris he says loved eddie in trading places in beverly hills cop also not eddie murphy eddie murray but i know you know that chris i know you know that. but listen the mad the mad greek tells us here joe montana he was four and oh in super bowls which i was aware of but i didn't know he threw zero interceptions in those four games that's that's really really impressive thanks for uh shouting that out mr mad greek and uh, piece of the game says, wait till you discuss the software. This guy is running just incredible. Very impressed. That's a nice endorsement right there for you, uh, Al, for sure. For sure. Colin Murray says, too bad you're 86 tops. Baseball wasn't a box of 86. Fleer? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Okay. Uh, let's uh, let's let's talk about some card stuff still here. I, you, you came back in 2019 into the hobby because of group breaking. And uh, just take us through that period of time for you until you launched um, uh, Waxstat? So I've been a computer programmer my whole entire life. And I just finished, uh, you know, the the company that I was with previously around 2018, 19 timeframe. And I I was kind of on this this personal journey to to figure out what did I really want to do next? Because I thought, I think, you know, I, I didn't want to just have a job. I wanted to have something that I'm absolutely passionate about. And and I had an opportunity to do that. Um, I'm in multiple group chats. And one of my group chats, which is which is which has some of my college buddies in it, um, you know, we're always throwing ideas. They're also sneaker and card guys. Um, and one of my, my, my college buddies said, hey, check out what these group breaks are. Check out what card breaking is. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Let's do it. And so we'd jump on eBay at the time and we would just buy into breaks, right? And so we would do pick your team breaks. We'd buy San Francisco Giants or the Golden State Warriors. And I'd pay my money, send it through eBay, PayPal. And then they'd say, come watch this show at such and such a time. And we're going to rip open this many boxes of, of whatever product. And when I saw that for the first time and I put money into this, I was like, wow, wow, this is the most awesome thing to be able to buy cards, rip them on the internet and have them shipped to my door in a couple of days. I was just like mind blown. I didn't think this could ever happen, right? So I kept on doing that because I thought it was the coolest thing. And I'm just like, I, I go to my buddy Quincy and Gavin and Jeff and I'm just like, hey guys, maybe I should be on the other side of the table. Maybe I should be on the other side of the table. And, and they're like, yeah, go do it. And this was right around 2020-ish and the pandemic happened. And, you know, getting products was, you know, was, was, a, was a difficult t- thing and it still kind of is. And so I managed to buy some boxes and put some stuff on eBay and people were bidding this stuff up. I was just like, wow, wow, this is unbelievable. 
right? People want me to go rip stuff for them. I thought that was half the fun. Um, so fast forward, I, I, I did a bunch of breaks from every, from, from even hockey, top to bottom, baseballs, uh, football, basketball. Um, and so I'm asking my buddies, I'm just like, Hey, if this really is a huge thing, and if this is live shopping is, is the next frontier, um, you know, could I make this simpler and could I use my skills to do this? So fast forward, I created, um, at the time, um, a software called Slabstat. Uh, it was the easy way for you to list, organize, and sell your card breaks for the do-it-yourself breaker. I was focused in on the people that were using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, the whole the whole social media, not using any of the marketplaces. And I wanted to create tools, um, the ability to, to sell slots and teams and package it up and be able to notify people. And so I launched that roughly, uh, I launched that in 2020. And I have, still have a bunch of breakers that use it today to run all their card breaks and cross sell across multiple platforms. So Slabstat is still running and now you've launched yeah. Waxstat at the same time, or you're running them, you're running them sort of parallel together now. And uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. There's a couple comments that have just come in here and I want to, I want to bring up underdogs right here it says uh, lots of admiration for Al. He has been grinding to figure out where he can bring tech to the space. So it looks like you found a couple of spaces where you can bring, where you're bringing tech to the space already. Front row says excited to see where Al is taking Waxstat. A lot of people, a lot of people know what Waxstat is, Al. That's uh, that's pretty pretty impressive. And I want to bring up this comment here. Uh, I don't know how to say this name. Karen Crilly, maybe greetings from the UK. Three twenty a.m. here. Love the show. Usually watch on catch up. But live today is flying to Milan early morning for Inter versus Lease Series A game. I think I don't know if I read that all right, but hey, welcome to the show. Glad to have you watching live for the first time from the UK. That is pretty cool. So Slabstat, Waxstat, and then was there another one? So yes. So from Slabstat, actually, just a little hind, little little step back here. Um, so some people ask me, why is it slaps that when it's a card breaking tool? So one of our first hypotheses is that we were like, given that we have a, I have a technical background. Could I find arbitrage into, into, in, in cards? Could I find some scientific way, um, some market um, trends out there um, that no one else has discovered? Cause I like money ball type stuff. And I realized as I was getting back into the hobby that the concept of being able to understand the cards and the parallels and the different variations is extremely difficult, is extremely difficult. And I, I still don't think anybody on this planet has the understanding of how many cards and how many variations are out there. And so that idea of statistics behind slabs went out the door rather quickly. And in my whole life, I've been a big fan of just throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall and seeing what stuck. And that didn't stick very, very well. That didn't stick very well, at least internally. And so I pivoted to the card breaking software. I kept the same name because knowing me, I'm just going to keep on pivoting. Um, I, I just, I just, it's just the way that Silicon Valley works. Um, keep on finding product market fit is what they say. Um, and so I pivot, I, I, I did Slabstat and it's running. It's still running today. And one of my, you know, front row card show who's on the broadcast right now, 
suggested, hey, is there is there an easy way that we can we can run a card show and, and understand who our customers are? And I was like, oh, you know, that's kind of a good concept. You know, maybe I can alter my software since, you know, it's to to assist in front row card shows, um, you know, way to understand their customers. And I doesn't have a name, but I, I'll call it, you know, card show stat um, on this show. And so I work with Front Row Card Show and a couple other shows uh, to be able to understand who the customer is when they come in, facilitate prize giveaways. And that has been able to, to in my opinion, um, help promote one of the largest uh, or help promote the card show, uh, the Front Row Card Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, right on. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's let's get into Waxstat now. I'm really curious to to hear your description of what is Waxstat. Waxstat is an online price comparison tool that scans and observes oh, about three thousand wax boxes, cases, sealed products, which include blasters, megas, um, and all the other sealed products, and we do that in real time from. 14 major retailers that sell cards we have geez we have we have tens of thousands of live pricing data points um, and we just make it super easy for you to see the prices compare prices understand the trends and help you make the right deal or help you uh find the best deals on the internet okay so that that's a that's a great sort of uh, elevator pitch you got there N nice and quick what was the what was the aha moment or what was the catalyst when, when it, I mean, I imagine, and just from your story and just the way you are, Al, that you were looking for ways to apply your skills, your technology, your computer skills with the hobby. But what was that aha moment or the catalyst that made you think, ah, wax that there's a need for this. I'm going to, I'm going to build this out. Yeah. So there was quite a few aha moments. Um, like I said, I always throw a bunch of stuff on the wall. So I'm constantly just, you know, when, when I talk with people at card shows, I'm just picking and, and prodding to see what their biggest problems were. And surprisingly, at the Mint Collective in Las Vegas uh, last year, the first one, um, I was uh, hanging out and I was talking with a bunch of card breakers. Some of the card breakers were using Slapstat. And I asked them, I go, hey, what are some of the biggest problems you have? And they said, you know, we got this, we got that. But almost every one of them said sourcing product. Being able to not only source product and get the hottest product and have it delivered to their door, but have it at the at the right prices because margins, as we know, you know, tend and, and as costs rise, they tend to these margins tend to shrink. And so, a couple of people, surprisingly, at Mint Collective, said, "Hey, Al, if you're looking to build something else, maybe maybe you should be able to just throw a bunch of prices at this on one screen instead of me having to click." all around the internet to find out what the right prices are. So what were some of the first steps you took then? You have the idea, you hear about mm -hmm. it at the Mint Collective, which is uh, a year ago, the end of this month. So <laughs> you're pretty quick. I mean, you had the idea at the Mint Collective, where the idea was presented to you 11 months ago, and it's been up and running for a little while already. It feels like it only took you three or four months to get it off the ground. What, so what were some of the first steps you took? Do you start building the app right away or the, or the website or the tool? How do you go about that? So 
even though I'm a coder myself, I still think coding is still a very expensive process to do. It's very time consuming. And the worst thing anybody could ever do is build an, a huge, awesome product and or a solution, but you don't necessarily have a, a problem to solve. So I, 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 I didn't even code one thing. I took an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Doc spreadsheet, and I just started charting stuff to see if if prices, you know, see how far, how much prices really do, you know, fluctuate. Um, in conjunction with that, I took uh, just a, a piece of paper and I would just draw and sketch different user interfaces. And I have a bunch of good friends, many of which are online tonight. Um, and, and I would go to these guys and gals and say, hey, if I built this and let's pretend this is real, would this, would you use it? And everyone said, yes, I would totally use it. Oh, that'd be great. You would save me 20 minutes a day. You would save me an hour a day. And once I kind of got that, then I said, okay, let's, let's start building something really ugly, right? Not on purpose, but let's just put something on a screen and, 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 and see what they, they do. So there's this philosophy of the lean startup of build, learn, iterate. Um, my first building was spreadsheets and doc and, and sketches and I learned from them and then I iterated. And so I kept on doing that whole process until people said, wow, this is really, really cool. And so as soon as I get those types of uh, validation points and I start seeing people use the, the app and not just once or twice, but multiple times a day, then I knew I was onto something and I just kept on building, learning, iterating. Is there any competition for what uh, Waxstat is doing? So that's a good question. So the biggest competition is for the person to do it themselves, right? That means they are, they are going on Google, finding 2023 top series one hobby or jumbo and looking at it and visualizing it and putting something in their head or maybe, maybe writing it down, right? I make that process simpler. Because I use a bunch of, you know, artificial intelligence bots that are pointed in the right directions towards these retailers to understand, you know, when they price changes and they, I chart it and I make it nice and pretty and a, and a nice user interface for them to see. What have been some of the challenges? I mean, I'm assuming with, with any startup, anything you're looking to do, there's going to be some challenges. What sort of challenges have you encountered thus far in the young life that, of Waxstat? So there's been a lot of technical challenges, um, you know, from, or a lot of challenges in general. From the technical side, I've been able to figure out almost everything, um, but that's just a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and, and, and trying and failing on seeing how, how certain things work. And, um, and, and I've been able to figure that stuff out. The biggest problems that I have been having is, one, is trying to understand how many products are out there. And I actually posed this question to, to tops. I'm like, Hey, are there lists out there of all the different SKUs out there? Um, because, because as, as great as my database may be, there's always something else out there that maybe there was one of, or 10 of, or a limited, a limited product for one specific store in one particular region and that people look for. And so those are some of the bigger challenges with it. Has it been easy enough to access the data that you, that these, that the bots you mentioned are out there sort of crawling and, and gathering? Yeah. So finding the information. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, uh, 
I wish there was more data structures, meaning I wish the industry as a whole would adopt naming conventions, certain specific ways boxes are listed, uh, because even box names, like they're just all over the place and it could be the same exact thing. Um, you know, there's, there's multiple product segments of, of each product line and, and it's, 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 it's very confusing. So, so to answer your question, you know, there has, there, there, they've been going out and they've been doing, they've been gathering tens and tens of thousands of data points and I've been able to log them successfully. So that's pretty cool. So do you like, do you have relationships with some of the bigger retailers that do some distribution like Dave Adams, Blowout, Steel City? Those are some that I'm familiar with. Uh, the the so, big, you know, those are the big online vendors. Do you have relationships with these guys? I don't have any uh, relationships with them right now, but I am talking with many of them right now to see how I can work together and change this hobby uh, for the good for, for both buyers and sellers. And is Waxstat monetized? Do you have a business model in place or are you working towards that? How, how do you intend for this thing to, uh, to make some money, if at all? So, so right now, Waxstat.com is free. You can search it, uh, browse, discover new products, um, see all the release dates and see what products are coming out this week. Um, now, as far as the business model goes, I have one business model in place and it's affiliate links. And that's been able to cover all the costs of running the uh, running the servers. Um, I am exploring different different business models, and everything is in play. Um, and I'm talking with different partners out there to to see you know to do the build, learn, iterate to see what works best for Waxstat and works best for the buyers and the sellers. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um, let's go to a couple of comments have come in. Uh, Catherine at Magpie says data standards are so necessary. And I mean, knowing what, what Magpie does, uh, and we've heard for years now, we've been hearing that there's no standardization of, in terms of listing on eBay, which is, you know, likely the biggest marketplace in our hobby. So I think it ties into a few things that it would be nice for there to be some, some standardization in terms of how you're listing your items that you are selling. Uh, Bagged Wine says, yes, the MVP. You talked about the the, ug the ugly version of Waxstat at first, which is what you were really shooting there to get out your, your MVP. Is that right? Yes, I believe there, there's a saying in Silicon Valley is if, if you launch it, if you aren't embarrassed with your first product, then you've launched too late. I, I launched mine as quickly as possible, right? Because I wanted to know, is this something I should double down on? Or if this is something I should just, you know, let fall off the wall, right? I'd never I heard that before. If you if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you launched too late. Is that a, is that a is that sort of a, a mantra or a slogan in, in Silicon Valley? I I've heard it multiple times. I think some VC some it may have been the Facebook guys out there, um, but it, it it resonates with me. It resonates with yeah. me because yeah. I don't need it to be perfect and by far by, by no means is wax that at a perfect form uh, it's getting yeah. better every day but it it's it, the first product the first version you know i was embarrassed and yeah. but people came up to me and said hey can you add this can you add that even today underdog collects that hey this is cool stuff you know can you add this can you add that yeah right on uh catherine says we need fanatics to step up and drive some standardization for the industry 
How would that, I don't, I don't, I, I understand the, the motivation behind Catherine's comment, but, but it's not on, I don't see how that's on fanatics. I see how that's on everybody else in the hobby to get to somehow get together. I mean, unless it's something that they drive down to their, the, the next level of sellers to say, Hey, here's how you got to list it. Or here's how you, you know, put it on your website in this standard form that, that I get, if that's what Catherine means, but there's so much more than just what fanatics is going to put out in 2023 and forward or 2024. But uh, agree regardless, yeah. Catherine, we definitely need that. I think it would help everybody. Uh, Scott Wright says Al is a perfect example of how technology is finally being leveraged well for the card world. Plus he's a great guy and representative for our hobby. I can get behind that comment, Scott. Very nice. Very nice. Bagged Wine says Wax That is a great product. Used it when the 23 top Series 1 Jumbos were going nuts to buy a couple boxes at $50 under the market. So that talk about that for a second, Alec. Bagged Wine. I don't know if Bagged Wine is a, is a breaker or just a, a retail consumer, but is this your audience as well? Because my understanding... Did I lose you? Understand was a. Did you catch that? Right. Can you repeat that one more time? Yeah. Um, is my understanding was a wax that was really focused towards for for group breakers. Is it also for the retail buyer? So yes, the answer is absolutely yes. We are we are in the process of understanding and we meaning I I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand who the customer is. And right now wax is solving a problem that applies to multiple verticals in, in multiple segments in our industry. Like in this case, bag wine, maybe a retail customer or somebody, just a collector. Right. And, and they want to be able to understand how, how can they buy the newest product? Um, there is the investor, the, the collector investor that wants to buy a box of 2020 Immaculate and be able to stock that. You know, do, should they buy it now? Should they wait? Um, you know, and then we have the card breakers who this was originally for, right? Just to understand what the cases, cases costs. Are the cases cheaper here or there? Right? And now I'm starting to hear from manufacturers and distributors because they have no clue what their products are doing out in the market, right? Whether or not they have a suggested retail price, you know, the market is what's dictating the prices. So they're learning, um, they're learning what is blowout selling it for, what is Steel City selling it for, what is piece of the game selling it for? Um, and and that's, that's valuable data for them to understand, is this product good or bad? So long story short, there's multiple segments here that, that Wax that solves a problem for. Yeah, but it's it, it's something to me that I, I just realized right now is that the the scope of your customer base is much broader than I thought it might have been before, or of your user base, I would say. Uh, here's an example. Mitch Mitch Grotman says I went through the Waxstat website today and just wanted to say I really enjoyed seeing the data you've provided with the service. Data like this is great for the hobby. Makes good sense. Underdog here says Al shared it with us at the conference and we've started using it immediately very helpful to our shop. So I am assuming he's talking about the tops conference from last weekend, which we're going to get into shortly and get your full report on that. Mm -hmm. And Mookie Chilson, welcome to the show says, Alan, I've never used your site before, but I'm on it. Fascinating. Is this purely a price guide or is there a way to, for me to buy product via your site? So I don't sell any wax. 
Um, I am just a data aggregator that provides all this information at a, at a, a touch of a button. But you can click on the prices, you can click on the vendors, and it takes it straight to them. And if you use eBay, then I get an affiliate link. Uh, you know, full disclosure there. But yeah, it's 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 you can directly buy it. And if if there's no price, then it's either sold out or unavailable from the retailer. So Al, let me ask. I mean, is there like like First of all, two questions. The first one, is there anything else about Waxstat that you'd like to talk about or make sure the audience is aware of? Um, actually, I'll just start with that one. Is there any, anything else about Waxstat that we haven't covered yet that, that that is important to let people know? Yeah, well, you know, I, it's it's a labor of love. It's definitely a labor of love. Um, I spent a lot of times just sitting at shows and sitting at, or walking at shows and sitting at card shops and just really observing them um, in a non-creepy way. Um Two things that came out this week, um, last week was the UPC scanner. I, I, that a lot with one button, you can go to a card show, which is where I was inspired to be able to take the web app, go to waxstat.com in the bottom left-hand corner, there's a little UPC code. You can hit that button and then take your box and scan it. And you can at the show or at the card shop, you can easily find out, is this a good price or is this a bad price? The same invert, you know, this on the inverse, the card stores can easily see, hey, is my price good or not? Right. Is it too high? Is it too low? Right. Piece of the game. They one of my good buddies in New York, you know, they use it all the time to be able to make sure all their prices are are up and down or are, 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 are at the correct level. Um, and for the first time at, on Sports Cars Live, uh, my latest feature is real time notifications. So you can find any product, whether it's you know, it was released years ago, today, or in the future for pre-sales. Uh, you can click one button, put your email address in there. No login required because I know no one likes to log in. Put your email in there and you'll get real-time price um, up, down price changes um, to find out if you're going to get the right price for that NFL prism box that's coming out in a few weeks. All right. That's really cool. Anything else you can give us a sneak peek uh, up to, towards it in terms of any other features that are on your roadmap? Oh, there's a thousand different features coming out uh, right now. I'm really excited for the UPC scanner because I think consuming the data and using the data was was one of the biggest hurdles. And that UPC scanner just eliminates so much stuff. Um, so I'm very, very excited to do that. And 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 the, my breakers want to know when certain prices change. So the notifications solves that problem. But just wait for a few more weeks and we're going to launch something really, really cool. All right. That sounds so good, man. That sounds really cool. Um, you know, it seems to me like, and listen, I don't know a lot about wax that I'm, I'm not a user of wax that it's just, it's just not what I would, what I, what I do, but I'm really impressed by just how many people are in the chat tonight and that are talking about it, that are saying they're using it. People who are interested in using it. Are you, are you at all surprised by what I'm going to call the success that wax that has had in its relatively short existence first of all i'm very humbled by by my friends um and you know my new friends that i've met tonight um you know i i really see wax dad as as a labor of love where i can combine my passions of technology um and baseball cars and collecting um into to one i i'm very very passionate about that um you know, people ask me, you know, people say, oh, you're a computer programmer. You can easily do this and do that. And I go, you know, 
computer programming is is I'm very grateful and very very blessed to be able to to program a computer and do all that really cool stuff. Um, but I, I think I mentioned this to you before. I don't think my passion or my specialty is computer programming. I think it's just a byproduct of what I've been able to learn. I, I think I think what I do want to bring to the hobby is to and whether you're a buyer, you're a seller, you're a dealer, you're a manufacturer. I, I want to be able to bring you know, technology into the hobby um, and, and combine what I think is my black belt, uh, being able to take very, very complex things and make them super simple. In this case, um, pricing, as simple as that may sound, is, you know, why does a price go up? Why does the price go down, right? Like, you know, how do I find this on, you know, on the corner of the internet? Like, I want to make those super duper simple because I've learned in this hobby that simplicity yields a lot of success here and 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 so i am not surprised that you know um you know it's it people are using it because i, I i'm very very good at making things simple um you know i i'm very blessed to have to have everyone just enjoying this product that's what really makes me happy yeah i mean just finding any any process that has friction and being able to remove that friction is going to be a recipe for some success for your product so it sounds like You've uh, really been able to do that. I also, what dawns on me in talking to you, Al, uh, is that you seem to, I think your brain moves a, like a million miles an hour sort of thing. I think you're just always innovating in your, within, your, within your, your brain, within your own mind space and imagination. And so like, how does a guy like you who probably has tons of ideas, how do you decide which one to move forward with? Like, was there anything that you had to say they had to set aside because you're like, no, wax that is it. I'm going to focus on that right now. Did you have to push any other good ideas aside that maybe someone else could take and run with or Absolutely. that you're for sure not going to exploit down the road? So that's a good question. I totally think we're in, we're in the second inning of technology in the hobby. I think there's going to be so much stuff, right? You have Veriswap and you have Center Stage. I think are fantastic apps out there and they're only going to grow. I'm, I'm very impressed to see what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Um, you know, just specifically in my little neck of the woods, I think card breaking is, a, is going to be a distribution point for the rest of time, right? Um, it's just fun. It's easy to do. And, and, and the big companies love it, right? Um, I think the ecosystem of card breaking is, is still out there to, to grab, whether you know, in this case, I took sourcing off the board, but there should be card, there should be marketplaces for basketball breaks only or card or baseball cards. Um, shipping is a nightmare, right? Can you figure out how to ship and ensure all this stuff easily? Like those are the types of ideas that are in my head. Like, and if I had, you know, if I, if I can clone myself, I would do all these different things. Cause I think there's, there's so many broken things. And I, you know, I scratched the surface of a card show. Card shows happen all the time. Trading, uh, and not just card shows, there's other things, other types of shows, right? That ecosystem is massive and there's so many opportunities there. So, you know, take it from, take those words of advice there. If you're an entrepreneur, definitely, definitely talk with me. I'd be, I'd be happy to, to chat with you about the problems I hear. That's uh, very generous of you. I'm going to put uh, back on the ticker right now, guys. You can follow Al on Instagram at Waxstat Official, on Twitter at Waxstat. I'll leave that on the ticker right now for a few more minutes so you can all 
see that. A uh, couple more comments here. I'm going to go through them. Front row says, I make a great point. Al has too many projects. Focus on Waxstat. It's a winner. There's some good advice right there. Uh, Mitch wants to know, Alan, do you have any plans to add more historical data points for wax prices via data purchasing or maybe finding a way to scrape the Wayback Machine? So that's a really good question, Grotman. Um, you know, uh, one of my friends uh, asked me about Luca, Luca Rookie Year 1819 Prism today, and no retailer out there other than eBay or the auction sites are, are listing that stuff. Um, and, and I think at this stage of Waxstat, uh, being able to provide real-time pricing for stuff that's happening right now so you can buy right now. The, the instant gratification is so important in this hobby that I've learned that providing historical data, while it's really cool to see that Kobe Bryant boxes and, and you know, were, were probably 50 bucks or LeBron James boxes were $100 way back in the day. Um, that's really cool. Um, it's, it's hard to, you know, it, it's hard to, to gather that information, but this is something I'm definitely going to look into because I, I still think it's really cool to know that, you know, if you can go back in the time machine and see that you could have bought a LeBron James box for 50 bucks, that's probably worth thousands now is kind of a cool concept. For sure. Front row here says wax. That seems like it'll be incredibly useful when prices are moving quickly. There isn't anyone else providing this data. It's a brilliant concept props. To Al, uh, what up, Baz? Good to see you, baseball card curmudgeon. And uh, Karen here says, I'm not a wax or anything modern collector, but must there must be additional value add lens, reproduction quantity, percent chance of major hits, things like that, additional trans... Transparency mm -hmm. equals here. I think Karen makes, uh, there's additional data and information that you could just, the prices, uh, where's, where's your mind at with that? So I agree with, with Kiaran, uh, a hundred percent. There's a few Twitter, Twitterers, tweeters, uh, that, that will manually break this down. And there's a few vloggers out there that, that talk about expected box value. Right. And so these are certain pieces of information. Like if I'm buying a top box of series one for a hundred dollars, right. You know, given the, given the odds of hitting a card, do you think I'm going to get a hundred dollars back 150 or 50, right? Those are the types of maths that I can figure out. And those are, those are potentially some things I can start adding into here. Um, so that's a really, really good idea. Um, production quantity, that's a, that's a trade secret from the tops or from the, from the, from the top levels. Um, we don't know how many boxes or cases are sold, but you know, there's, there's, there's kind of creative ways to, to figure some stuff out. Um, so yes. So yes, if there's any kind of data that can be figured out, um, directly or indirectly or inferred, I want to be able to provide that data because I want to expose that and, and, and provide that transparency. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yankees fan says, good evening, great show. As usual, I love the people Jeremy introduces us to. This is a product I will be using. Great idea and best of luck, Alan. Thank you. Very nice, very nice Yankees fan. Mookie Chilson says, oh man, wax that would have saved me 30 bucks on the Heritage High Number Hobby Box I bought today. So <laughs> there you go. Matrix says, uh, pre-order prices are key for first off. The line that 
I lost you. The products will end. Now, it says, good idea. Great. Okay. Yeah. So, am I back? There we go. There we there go. There we go. Okay. Keep your something's wonky with my internet right now. So keep your eyes on it. You may need to carry the show for a minute here. Okay. If I, I got you. I got you. I disappear again. Uh, our, anyway, Silver Bull says, "Great idea. Great show as always. Thank you, Silver Bull." Al. Okay. Let's move off a of wax stat. Let's get you. Let's get some report from you on the tops conference. I mean, I think we did a great job talking about wax stat in that. I feel I learned more about it, and I think that uh, I feel like. Yeah. So the tops industry conference happened this week in Phoenix, sure Arizona, and I was there. Lots of good stuff. Um, that's good. Yeah, anyways, Tops Conference was pretty awesome. If you have not gone to the Tops Conference, definitely check it out. There's a gift box, which I'll get into a little bit, was pretty awesome. So, there's Jeremy. I'm am I, I got am you. I back now? Am I back? Welcome to Sports Cars Live with Alan Terrell. Our guest today is Jeremy Lee. Okay, I think I'm back. I, I apologize. I don't know what's going on. I'm even hardwired into my router, so I'm not sure. But like I said, you might need to take over the show, Al, if I uh, if I disappear again for any long period of time. I apologize. Let's talk about the Tops Conference. What were some of the highlights for you? What were some of the things that you uh, that you really picked out as being the the main nuggets from the Tops Conference? Oh, there's so much stuff. So first of all. You know, thanks to Tops for hosting an awesome, awesome industry conference. Um, it was in Phoenix, Arizona, this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It was a three-day, two-night event where they took us, you know, they took care of us the whole time, uh, fed us the whole time, pretty much, and uh, introduced us to a lot of their partners, and they talked about their products themselves. Um, as far as specific nuggets goes, um, there's a lot. Um, the one message I want to talk about now is is Tops iterated, um, repeated themselves multiple times that their North Star, the North Star for Tops is the North Star is to improve the collector's experience. And they're going to do whatever it takes and invest, invest into the collector's experience to be improved. So that, that, that's a really good sign that that they they are customer first. They're customer first. Nope. Okay. A um, couple things from the show. Um, they want to grow their collector base. Um, and they want to invest heavily, heavily into the support and the hobby ecosystem. There we go, Jeremy. You there? I think so. But I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of getting a little uh, PO'd here at my, uh, my internet connection. That's okay. I think no I'm problem. here. I, I can't tell anyone. I need you to tell me. Can you hear me right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. Yes. Talk, please. Just talk about the Tops Conference as if I'm not even here because okay. I might disappear okay. again. Okay. There's a few. Let, let, let's talk about all the top stuff. Let's talk about all the stuff, top stuff. So the first big thing that Mike Mahan, 
Mayhan said, president of Fanatics Collectibles says, the biggest product announcement in a generation will come, to, will, will be announced in the next month. Now, what that is, you know, there's a billion different rumors out there. Um, I'm not here to make this a rumor show, um, but I think that's pretty cool. That's really, really cool how the biggest generation or the biggest announcement in, in a generation will be announced. What about, you know, I heard that they mentioned about sort of 10xing the hobby, 10xing the amount of collectors in the hobby. What was some of the buzz around that comment or that that sort of uh, initiative uh, goal that Fanatics really seemed to put out there quite publicly? Um, mm -hmm. what, what, what were some of the chatter you heard amongst fellow attendees? So, I, so Tops definitely said 10x. They want to grow the collector's base. 10x um you know so it, it's 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 you know very assuring that that they are going towards growth uh one of the individuals and i didn't get his name um there was a q a portion of this and he re referenced the 10x and he, he basically said hey tops hey fanatics if you guys are you know you know if 10x is the quantitative number that you guys are shooting for what you know I'm very concerned about our rising costs and lack of margins. You know, how can you tops fanatics help us maintain the growth in the hobby and achieve that 10 X with you and, and tops, you know, tops replied and said, we, you know, and I quote, we are prepared to invest significantly in the hobby shop success. Um, but they, they had a caveat of said, the hardest thing to do is balance the supply and demand. Um, and so another gentleman there at the show said, is this a good time for me to sell my card shop? And Tops replied and said, there's good times ahead, I quote, and they're, I quote, bullish in regarding the, uh, the card market. Um, and he added that not all stores are going to be created equal, um, but they are very bullish in, in growing the hobby to that 10x uh, uh, number. Did they provide any insights into how they intend to do that? You know, they didn't go into necessarily specifics, specifics. Um, they said, uh, you know, they said that the hardest thing really is balancing the supply and demand. And, you know, we don't want to have junk wax era 2.0 just to be able to, to get those numbers. Um, Tops did mention that, you know, we want to start doing more product segmentation and that's kind of a, a loaded word there. I don't know exactly how they're going to do that and still may get to 10 X. I mean, does that mean they're going to be putting more premium products out there just for the hobby shops? And, and those are the places, those are the, the places that you can only get this exclusive product for some really expensive money. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 they say they're bullish, but they're not giving necessary specifics into yeah. what's going on. there. It's interesting because, you know, back in that junk wax era, it seemed like there were 10 times the amount of people in the hobby than there are today, maybe even more. So I don't, you know, I understand balancing supply and demand, but if you're going to try and increase demand, you have to increase the supply. There isn't enough supply for the, or there, in recent years, hasn't been enough supply for what is a 10% amount of the uh, participants than what they are yeah. talking about rising to uh, down the road. So I'm not sure how you do that. I think it it must come down to marketing. And I've heard some people from 
from from fanatics say that you know the hobby has been successful by accident i think i think that was michael rubin's comment i don't want to quote it for sure but i think that's what i heard him say the hobby's been successful by accident and there hasn't ever been any marketing done uh for the hobby so do you do you think that that fanatics uh or tops under fanatics per, you know in terms of uh, being the parent company now uh did you get the idea that they are really going to start to advertise and and market the hobby and do it in some really with in some real innovative ways and did they allude to any innovative ways upon which they might do marketing versus traditional type of uh medium so I'm glad you asked this question because the, the answer is yes, as far as the marketing goes. So from what I understand here, uh, Mike Mahan was the former Dick Clark CEO. Um, so he really knows Hollywood and he knows how to put on the show. Um, they mentioned this part a couple of times. They, they want the, the, the top series one box cover released or to be a, to be a big show, just the way that uh, the Madden video game cover is out there. So if there's one person that can put on a show, I mean, I, they got some guy from Hollywood that that knows how to do that. So I think that's that's a given now. And, and they're going to start investing heavily in, 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 in messaging all that stuff. Um, the other cool thing is that they're really engaging. They really want to bring the, the players, athletes, celebrities closer to the fans. And, and they're going to do that from what I understand in multiple different ways. Uh, the, the, the big thing that they want to do. There's a couple of big things. One is that they, they, they want to do these things called social media followbacks. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. So they're going to have 10 players inserted into big leagues. And if you get this redemption card, um, the, it'll be a followback. So somebody maybe like Otani or trout will follow you back. And it's a, it's a very ingenious, ingenious idea because I know Conan O'Brien when he was either on the tonight show or, or on the Conan show, he did, he followed one person and that changed the life of that one person. I'm not saying a followback is going to do that here, but it was a very, very, very ingenious idea for tops to, to bring that, to bridge that gap just a little closer. Yeah. I heard that idea as well. And I must say, I, I love that. I think that is a really cool thing to be able to pull out of a pack is that the athlete is going to follow you back on instagram yeah. or twitter um maybe that athlete won't love it depends on what you're posting and how often you're posting yeah. and all that but it's still pretty darn cool for anyone else who's now you know you're following you on instagram or twitter and then you can go see who follows that other person and see oh look at that Derek jeter is following my friend yeah. like that's that's pretty amazing so I, I think that's a great idea i love it i think it's really outside the box yeah Anything else come to mind? From yeah. The, from the, um, conference? the other, well, there's a couple of takeaways. One, one, I thought, well, one of the messages that they said because of their North star and they brought the North star up against, they want to improve the collector's experience. And they said, we want to reduce the redemptions. And we all know redemptions aren't the best experience and they do everything, but give us the instant gratification of something. Um, so it seems to me that they're going to do a lot of memorabilia stuff. Um, and they, they talked specifically uh, about how a baseball player will get their first hit. And if the hits a first base or a single double, triple, they'll, they'll take that base and they'll cut it up and they'll put it into a card. If it's a home run, they'll dig up home plate. If it's a pitcher, 
they'll dig up the rubber and cut that up and put that into to, to commemorate their first strikeout. So that's actually kind of neat. There's there's these game used pieces that no one ever thought about doing before. And so I'm excited yeah. about that. Um, and that's, one last that's, thing. That's really cool. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. The one last thing that I got excited for was the Tom Brady card. Um, I'm a big fan. I'm, as much as I love Joe Montana, uh, Tom Brady is another Bay Area kid that I have tremendous respect for. And to get him on a, a baseball card where he's wearing, I guess he's going to wear his Montreal Expos jersey if they have stock footage of that. And, he's gonna, and there's going to be autos there. So for those Tom Brady collectors, you don't have everything. You know, you're going to have to wait till I think it's next month that they're going to start releasing it in a Bowman product um for tom brady so i'm excited about that yeah i i just you know in summary i, I like a lot of the innovation that they're that they're saying they're going to be doing and that they're you know the 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 first base hit i mean that's really cool because now you know what game it was from i think that's an important milestone in a player's career and it adds a little bit of i don't know pizzazz or something to a player's a rookie card or a rookie year card an insert from that year whatever whatever it may be I think that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, let's go to some comments. We've had some reaction now to the tops discussion. So uh, Chris C here says, in my opinion, you can't 10x the hobby as far as money without raising prices and printing stuff like junk wax, which in my opinion is a huge mistake. Needs to be out of quality, not quantity. Well, I don't think it's a mistake though. Here, here's why. I mean, how many people are back in the hobby now that got in in the early 90s like a lot there are a lot of people who were introduced to the hobby in that junk wax era and a lot of them left because it got too junky but a lot of them stayed and even maybe more of them are coming back now so i'm not saying that i want to see a bunch of people come in and then leave but if fanatics and tops can learn from that old that last junk wax era and find a way to you know, kind of mitigate the chances of that same cycle happening, or maybe they just lengthen the cycle. I don't know that it'll go on forever, but I think that, uh, I think that, you know, you do need to produce a lot of product to satisfy a 10 times, uh, 10 X demand. If, if our baseline is where we're at right now. So, you know, not the easiest thing to get your head around, but, uh, I think, I think there's a bit more there potentially any comments on that, Al? I mean, it's, it's always, we always fear another junk wax era, right? And it's very interesting how they're, they're, they're promoting this 10x return. Um, so, so it'll be really interesting to see how they can execute on this. I mean, they have a bunch of smart people over there um, who, and, and they, they, they talk about product segmentation. They mentioned that a few times. And, and maybe that's, you know, they, they have to find that balance, uh, of quality and quantity and make, you know, make as many people as happy as possible. Yeah. And, and make sure that there's enough product for people, I think. So yeah. they don't get, uh, there's something that's to be said for driving up some hype and demand, but at the end of the day, Absolutely. if you want to bring people in, they have to be able to, to play. They have to be able to participate. Underdog says the product segmentation will be huge. Certain product platforms designed for certain collectors, focusing on design checklists, etc. Yeah. Actually, I meant to ask you like, what what did they mean by more product segmentation? Like I, I just think about there's so many brands each each year for each sport by the different companies that are making cards right now. What what are they looking to segment? What did you get out of that? You know they didn't get into you know specifics because 
it's very evident right now that there are different product segments, whether it's the price segmentation, whether you want an entry level, mid tier, high level product. Um, you know, they're they're doubling down on on, you know, not only sports They're they they, they had the zero cool team up there. Um, so there's different entry points um, and different types of products uh, for for all different types of collectors, whether they're whether they can afford, you know, really expensive sets or, or more affordable sets. So so I, I think the, the, the takeaway that I, I, I'm able to, to get from here is that they want to grow the collector base. Right. They want to get the, the, the population uh, 10x. And, and really, it's, it's being able to provide these, you know, frictionless types of entry points. And, and I can see them doing more of that. And, and maybe there's going to be some junk wax in, in, in some of that. And, and that won't necessarily piss off the hot, the, the collector that's been around for 20, 30, 40 years, because they stay in their lane and the new collectors who we all want, we, we want this hobby to keep on going. The last thing is we want it, want it to die. If, if these guys can, and gals can come in at a cheap price point for products that no one else wants or cares about right now, then there's no problem with that. I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah, I would be too. But Chris C has a different outlook on what's going on. He says they already eliminated cheap sets aimed at kids like opening day, yet they claim they're all about the younger, the younger ones. Not really. It's about adults and breakers, it seems. Um, I mean, we, I think, I don't know. I, I, I hear what Chris C is saying, but I can't imagine that the, that the, the strategy that tops is going to, uh, attempt to execute on under fanatics leadership or along with fanatics is going to be to price out kids. I don't think that that's a good way to keep the hobby sustainable into the distant future, like for a couple more generations anyway. So, I mean, if, if they are, then yeah, what, what's the pipeline? I don't, I, I just can't see that, that, that this being the case, maybe they got rid of a set cause it didn't make sense. There's, there could be a lot of reasons why, uh, a set is eliminated, a lower a lower cost set or pack is eliminated. It might not just be because they're only focusing everything on, on adults or more expensive products. There's a few different, there, there are other factors at play. Uh, anything to, any comments you have on that, Al? So Tops did mention that they're going to hibernate or put certain product lines back into the vault. Right. They're going to put some and and I think opening day was definitely one of them. There's a couple Bowman ones. Um, I didn't write down the exact product lines, but it seems to me they're doing some kind of Disney model here where they may eliminate opening day for, you know, a couple of years. Right. And maybe replace it with another affordable product and and do the whole marketing rah rah and make it seem more premium, um, but yet still at a good price point. Um, I do like how they're going to you know eliminate some of these product lines because some of them just don't sell I see them at LCSs all the time, just sitting there. And if they can, they can give us the mental, what's the word trickery that, you know, certain products are going away. Certain product lines are going away, but being replaced by something else. Maybe that's all it takes to, to reboot this, this market here. Maybe. All right. Well, uh, Catherine says lots of ways to bring in new audiences, especially given relationships with leagues and players associations. And I mean, that's that follow back uh, idea right there probably is stemmed right from that, right from what Catherine's getting at. She goes on to say, and they just hired Ken Turner of Red Bull to be the chief marketing officer for fanatics collectibles. So it will be interesting to see what happens. 
Yeah, for sure. It yeah. definitely will be. Always nice to get some new blood in. Uh, Karen here says, again, a caveat of not being a modern collector, but it says it's difficult to grow 10x on a concept based on manufactured scarcity. I get growing retail by 10, but does this require 10 times the scare the scarce cards? And I think says, yeah, self-defeating, right? It, I, I don't know. I, that, that's a that's a you, you almost need to take a deep dive into into this sort of question because yeah, how do they how do they grow the hobby by 10 without without flooding the market with cards that like are there still is there still gonna be scarcity? And I I just don't know. You know, in this comment, uh Karen mentions manufactured scarcity. And I think that at some point there's gonna be products. If you want to grow the hobby by 10, you need to segment, right? You need to have products that are gonna to appeal to all sorts of different people, people who can afford two dollar packs and people who can afford two thousand dollar packs. Never mind twenty thousand dollar packs, those are out there too. But you gotta you gotta have something at, at the two dollar level. And the, yeah. the cards that come out of a two dollar pack don't need to have really any value. Maybe there are the chances of some cool hits, some cool inserts like hoops used to do back in the 90s, but I don't think there has to be. It's like even up here in Canada, we have the Tim Hortons hockey cards every year that they do in partnership with Upper Deck. Cards aren't worth anything, but you wouldn't believe how many people collect this set every year and you can buy it. Like I think there's 130 locations where I live in Calgary of this coffee shop. 130 LCSs pop up every year in, in, in my city alone uh, just to sell one brand of hockey cards. So that's a great way to grow the hobby. And Upper Deck's done a, a great job of that in Canada. But are they going to, you know, what's Tops and Fanatics going to do in the States to get that 10x multiple on hobby participants? Don't know. But again, well, we, we have some indications, but we don't know for sure. Uh, Mark Santucci makes a great point here. Says Montana is way better than Brady. Montana right. is the goat. Uh, thank you, Mark. Tito says Pokemon is driving the card market huge right now. I've never seen anything like it. A lot of those collectors will eventually or simultaneously collect sports. So there you go. There's a yeah, pretty pretty just a good observation. Uh, go ahead, Al. I I, I agree with that. I I think. You know, there there is leakage from that side that that, you know, you, you know, people collect Pokemon and people collect Pokemon well into, you know, beyond their kids, you know, beyond their their younger years. Um, but it's not surprising if Tops does something or markets to these people that are already collecting stuff like my mom was a coin and stamp collector and, and she, you know, with me, got me into cards. I mean, maybe they're going to start attacking other other collectible verticals and, and, and getting them to leak over. So that's, you know, there's collectors everywhere and, and, and it's, it's just a matter of leaking them over into the products that tops and fanatic sells. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Underdog says collector acquisition is key. A viable trade and reseller market is what they must help protect. That sounds, mm. that's a, that's a pretty rational comment right there. Uh, Jordan sky, what's going on? Mitch says, do you guys think these comments from Tops Fanatics will age well? I think the, I, I mean, I don't know, Al, I feel like, first of all, fun question from Mitch. And second of all, I mean, I think that, I think the easy answer is no. I think just because you, so many different things can happen. I am going mm -hmm. to, I hope that they do. You know, I'm in, I'm in full support of the hobby prospering and, 
I don't know. I mean, it seems like they're building a great team over there at Fanatics at, at the leadership level. And is that going to spill down to the, you know, to throughout the whole organization so that everybody is buying in to, you know, sort of a common goal? Like, is there alignment within all levels of management right down to the, again, the everyday employee to help reach what the, the goals of the organization, which are right now to 10 times the hobby. And I'm sure there's some other, other goals they have in place as well. But um, I wonder, and, and, you know, to, to Mitch's comment or to, to the question, I think some will, maybe a couple won't, but either way, I'm going to hope that they do and try and support it. What about you, Al? So as I mentioned earlier, their North star, and they said this two, three, four times is the collector's experience. Right. And to answer to Grotman here, will, will that age? Well, I hope so. I hope, the customer experience is always front of mind, right? When you, when they go into board meetings, you know, and the first thing says, what are we doing today? It's like, we're going to improve the collector's experience. Right? I hope that's, that's the, the, that's the mantra, you know, for the rest of time, because if that's the case, then we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot. For sure. For sure. Thank you, Mitch Grotman for the comment piece of the game says the passion from the brand and development team was very clear. They care a ton about the products they are putting out and the legacy of the brands. Was that your uh, takeaway as well, Al? Yeah, I, um, Clay. I, I don't know his last name. Clay of Tops. He's in. He's in charge of the product development team, and he, you can just tell he was very passionate about all the different new product lines that are coming out for Tops. Um, we talked about the Tom Brady. Um, they have two other top products that I didn't mention. Was Retrofractors. Um, they're going to be doing these, these retrofractors of Babe Ruth in a, in a Red Sox jersey. Um, and then they have these negative numbered um, cards. I forgot what they're called, negative fractors. But you can get a minus five of five, minus four of five. Um, so they're doing these, these, these unique things. And, and the followbacks, right? These, these are just super unique. Um, like they had to, coming up with these different ideas, you know, they were in a different area right they, they 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 have to go far out there to come up with these ideas and i'm glad they're executing on it because i'm really excited to see what's coming up here yeah when you talked about the negative serial numbers i think they're calling them frozen refractors so yeah. you'll get a, a, a minus five out of zero a minus four i i think that's neat like you know it's sort of gimmicky but it's also new and I, i'm okay with that i'm okay with gimmicky if they're trying new things and finding ways to yeah. innovate on you know there, there's a lot of people in the hobby that say, you know, oh, it's the same thing over and over again. You know, from a design perspective with some products, it certainly is. But, you know, how many different things can be put in a card and where does the, you know, how much can you innovate on eight and a quarter square inches of card in terms of, you know, other elements, adding elements that we haven't seen yet? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I hope it's infinite. I don't think it is. But the fact that they're coming out with, you know, this negative serial number, the frozen refractor, I think it's I think it's a neat thing to do. I know some people are going to criticize it, but I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, if, if this really is their first big attempt at coming out with new and unique products that aren't just your standard RPAs and patches and autos and stuff like that and redemptions, right? I'm all for it, right? I'm all for the Tom Brady card. I'm all for 
you know, these fallbacks. I'm all for him. You know, maybe they'll do meet and greets, hit batting kit, you know, hit batting practice, you know, swing a swing yeah. a stick at a, at a at a goalie. Like I think that's cool stuff if if they can make that happen. Yeah, the experience oh. uh, angle of it for sure, for sure. Which is it makes me reminds me of the whole utility aspect of NFTs. I mean, that whole yeah. utility concept can just be. Yeah. We don't need NFTs to have utility. We can add utility to sports cards as well. So yeah, and it's. That's a whole other discussion, but I think that that speaks well towards sports cards. Uh, ben, but Ben here says Tim Hortons is double dipping this year, releasing some kind of legend set in April on top of the usual November set. Hey, I mean, you know what? The the thirst is there, so not only for their coffee but also for their cards. So double dipping has negative connotation, but I think it's I think it's okay. I mean, again, let's grow the hobby. Sports card dinner says I think maybe a lot of people don't even know that sports cards still exist. I think that's how they grow is by advertising. I know when I got back in 2020, I didn't even know the hobby still existed. See, that's a, that's a, I'm glad sports card dinner makes this comment because guys like you and me have been so immersed in the hobby for so long that I can't imagine a world where you don't know this thing exists. I can't imagine anybody not knowing that this exists, but the fact of the matter is there are people that don't. So it just goes to show how much how important it can be to market in the right way absolutely sports card dinner says love the show and i love cards well love having you in the chat tonight sports card dinner and welcome to the show piece of the game says they also said the balance between supply and demand is so important and some of the hardest decisions that they make see it's it's nice to know that they're really in tune with that and that seems like they want to not make the same mistake or let history repeat itself as it did in the early 90s. Again, Alan, I'm going to ask you sort of, you know, piece of the game makes the comment, but is that your takeaway as well? Absolutely. Um, yeah, Clay, I think, said, you know, supply and demand is is the most important. It's forefront of their mind when when they when they do this because, you know, they, they have every ability to just turn the printers on and let them run until, you know, until they run out of ink, right? Um, but you know, they, they know if fanatics is investing billions of dollars into this, they're, they're, they're going after this. They're, they're going Hollywood now with, with the potential of making series one, uh, a Madden release cover type of, you know, show. And, and, you know, as long as they can control the market and control or control the supply, then the hobby is going to last a long, long time. They're not going to go for instant profits they're going to go for the for the the building of the whole system here and 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 seeing the their work pay off for the for till eternity yeah yeah Yeah. uh catherine here says i also think we'll see really interesting moves toward dynamic pricing like what you see in the travel industry i mean that ties into what you're doing with wax stat al what Mm -hmm. do you think about a move towards dynamic pricing and does that make your tool that much more integral to people's experience in the hobby so they use the word dynamic pricing a couple times and they're already making dynamic pricing available to the local card shops or people that buy directly from tops um they'll get the, if if they're blessed enough to have an allocation they'll get the allocation at the allocated price but they can rebuy um if if supplies are there um at an elevated price depending on what market conditions are um you know i think answer your question i i I think if dynamic pricing comes down to the consumer level um you know they want to move certain things or they want to make things a little more scarce they they have the ability to do that uh they did mention 
that Dutch auctions and blind Dutch auctions are going to be a normal thing. Um, I know Zero Cool is doing that for their Jackass releases and a few of their other releases. I can't think of it off the top of my head, um, but they want to be able to to yes, yeah, maybe it's Stranger Things, um, but they want to be able to do dynamic or they want to be able to do pricing like that. Um, so yeah, I, I do believe as as prices are just in this constant state of flux, uh, something like Wax that can provide that additional value to understand that. You know, are you getting a good deal? Or are you getting a bad deal? Is it is the deal better somewhere down the street? Right. Um, I think there there's definitely opportunities there. Yeah. Here's a good comment, and well, lots of good comments. But here's one: Sports MD card collector says, "What I want to see most is improved quality. There's tons of off-centered cards and print lines on high-end tops products." I got that's a. I'm glad that uh, Sports MD put this out there because I want to. I want to know now, Al, was quality discussed at the conference yes so somebody brought it up um in the q a section and they says hey what are we doing one one is like how can we get a hold of somebody if there's a problem because they they can't seem to be able to to get that that customer service that 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 tlc that they that as we deserve or as some of the card shops deserve that spend a lot of money with tops um so Top said, we're going to work on, on building that, right? They want to be able to build the collector experience so much better. Um, you know, they talked about improving, improving quant quality of, of the products and being able to, 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 to make sure that collectors and investors are happy with, with these, you know, off-centered products or print line products or, or, you know, in some cases missing products from the, from the checklists, um, you know, I, 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 they know it. They, they, they hear us loud and clear. Now, whether or not they, they give us the answer that we all want to hear, um, you know, that, that, that only time will tell. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's definitely a tough thing because I mean, I don't, as far as I know, they don't even own their own printing facilities. They, it's all third party vendors and, you know, it's almost like too late by the time the product comes in. So what's the answer? Well, you have someone at that at that vendor, you know, kind of supervising the production and doing quality control as it's coming off the press and then having the ability to tell your vendor, no, 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 we're not going to pay you for this product. It's not up to standard. But then, you know, I, listen, you have to think these conversations are happening. They they want the product to be good and to to, to be as flawless as possible but it just doesn't seem to be the reality of the in, in the world of printing sports cards. And with all the supply chain issues over the last few years, I'm sure that just exacerbated the whole situation. Not only that, but being able to step foot into these facilities, into these manufacturing plants with other employees uh, was, was limited during the pandemic, which is still in the recent rearview mirror. So hopefully in time, this all fixes itself and perhaps Fanatic's bought some printing facilities or is going to or plans to build out their own i'm not sure what the status is there but i could see that being a somewhat of a of a solution for all these things so yeah, i guess I, we'll I, see in time yeah. okay let's go to uh uh lgc's comment here al says fanatics is expected to ipo i hope fanatics learns from how hasbro has angered the magic the gathering community it's very different when you become a public company and the 
I think, yeah, it is very different when you become a public company for sure. One of the biggest problems is that you have to spend so much money uh, just on regulatory uh, compliance and, you know, totally. like, like millions a year in shareholder communications. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a money suck going public. Um, and, and, and you tie in the fact Chris C's comment here says fanatics is a monopoly. I'm sorry, but name me one monopoly that's ever really cared when they have zero competition. I hope I'm wrong, but I'll stick to older stuff and vintage low grade. And I mean, my first comment to Chris here is that that's the beauty of this hobby. You don't need to buy next year's product or this year's product. There's, I've said this so many times, there's what, 110 years of products out there you can go buy. There's, there's no end. You said it yourself, Al. Name me one person who can, who can, who understands all the cards that have come out in the last few years. There's so many variations and parallels and all these different things that there's so much out there. You don't need to always worry about what's coming out, but Fanatics isn't in in the business right now. They're not coming in to sell the products that Top Tops Panini and Upper Deck were selling for the past thirty years. They're here to here to sell products moving forward. But as far as the monopoly piece of it all and the con the condition quality, I'll turn it over to you for your comments. So for the the comment that came out before, how they learned from Hasbro. Um, one little caveat: um, they are working with Hasbro. Um, on starting lineups uh, so so take that as good or bad but they are they are in bed with Hasbro to do a new line of, of baseball basketball and WWE starting lineups so those are the stuff that I collected as a kid and there's they're probably in my closet still back at home um, now as far as the monopoly goes you know it's, it's, a, it's a very it's a very tricky question there because you know what really is a monopoly and you know do they you know, just because they have the single license from basketball, the single license from football or eventually basketball, football, they have the single license from baseball. Is it, you know, you know, maybe the answer is to have these companies or these, these, these players associations and leagues put more licenses out there. Um, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure fanatics has a ton of lawyers that understanding that understand, uh, antitrust laws that will just drag this out. Um, I, I do feel that, 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 you know, whatever, you know, there's nothing we can do about that particular, that, that uh, you know, whether or not they're a monopoly or not. Um, the, the reality is, is that, you know, we have a choice as consumers, whether or not we want to want to buy that, buy the new products from Fanatics Tops, you know, eventually basketball and football, um, or go after products that, you know, were released, you know, back in the day, stick with vintage, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's lots, lots of options out there. Hello to Nick Martelli. Uh, T says too much good quality will ruin scarcity. I mean, that's a really good point because you've got the manufactured scarcity angle of scarcity in the hobby. And then you've got the condition scarcity of, yeah. of scarcity in the hobby. And it is a bit of a double-edged sword. All of a sudden, you know, if, if, if every card comes out in a gem in gem mint condition, all of a sudden grading isn't as important because there's, there's no differential. Every, every card's, Every card's gem mint or every card's pristine at that point. So I wonder how that ends up, how that shapes up at the end. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I don't think anything man-made is necessarily perfect. Well, I think we're going to start defining different levels of perfect. Um, I only wish there was a company that can actually 
like magnify and give me a, a, a nice big report of why my card may be gem mint 10 or maybe even, you know, be, or whatever that level is, right? If only a company can come out to do that, like that would be really, really cool. I think the definitions of grading will change and, and, and what you consider too good may not be too good. Um, you know, there, there's, there's always room for improvement and, you know, only if that technology existed. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're just giving me a layup to talk about tag grading, right? <laughs> I love, I love what you guys are doing. It's, 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 it's disrupting everything. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, yeah, you know, and just to be clear, um, Al was being a little uh, sarcastic there saying, I wish there was a company because if you don't know tag grading, a company that I am with is doing exactly that, giving you full transparency as to why your card gets the grade that it does all done by technology, automated grading. So uh, 10 years in the making, lots of video on that on my channel. You can go check that out. Um, Taggrading.com. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's keep on. But uh, before we go on, I do want to say though, that I agree with T dot here and, and you know, that too much good quality will, it'll, it'll ruin condition scarcity moving forward, not ruin it, but just mitigate the, the, you know, the degrees upon which a card's condition can change. And again, that's where tag grading does something that's really innovative is that we grade on a thousand point scale, not 10. So even within gem mint, a 50 point variance on a thousand point scale, you will, you will know where your card ranks within that 50. So while on one hand, I say to T dots comment, you know, if everything comes out of gem mint, does that impact the hobby in a negative way? Well, and then you say, well, if there's a grading company that can actually determine that that really uh, minute variation in in condition, and if people care about that, well, then that's going to help, I guess, keep grading relevant. And yeah, again, that's what tag grading is doing. So, um, okay, uh, Chris C says, yeah, the bad quality control has to go. Print lines, surface divots in Chrome cards, etc. And yeah, I mean, I can tell you working with tag grading, print lines and, and surface divots are rampant, rampant yeah. in, in products uh, right now and have been for a while, actually. So, okay, let's keep going, Al. Um, Bob's Big Boy says, nine years ago, Topps sold 2014 Topps Chrome to dealers at $55 a box, then lowered it to 39 a month later with dealers holding cases of product. I hope Topps remembers these lessons from days of hobby past. I have to think they will. Al, yeah. did you get any idea at the at the Tops conference last weekend that they do have somebody or a team or people who were who have kind of been around to make sure that they they understand the intricacies of the cycles that we've seen over the past twenty or so years, maybe in forty. So I, I think the message, the, there's a clear message there that they don't want to have junk wax era 2.0. Now I, I look at the, the, the hired hands there, the people that are in charge of leading this. Now, I don't know how many of them are, are true collectors. How many of them have, have gone through the ups and downs? How many of them spent their childhood allowance to, you know, as a five, 10 year old, and then seeing that just disappear and collect dust. Right. Like that, those are the problems that, that resonate with me as a collector. Right. Um, and I'm assuming you too, and everyone else that's listening. Um, you know, I, I hope, I hope and pray that, that they've, they've understood the case study of why the hobby 
and and why multiple hobbies have have taken dips and they can learn from those lessons and not you know and 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 and, and take preventative measures to prevent to from making this happen again yeah well listen i mean everything goes in cycles right so we may yeah. be in store for another junk wax era but i think you got to consider this though in the old junk wax era there was no low end mid and high end really i mean it came out towards the tail end of that era but really it was like each company made one or two products a year and that was yeah. it they just printed the heck out of it now you might have junk wax in one of the segments they're talking about segmentation so maybe they're going to push that on that that um junk wax sort of uh theme <laughs> a little bit heavier at the lower end but the mid and yeah. high i think you're going to see some sort of tail off of of that sort of uh those levels of printing and really try to at least preserve part of it and yeah. maybe take a bigger risk at that lower end where they do need to reach you know the two dollar a pack uh shopper so maybe that's maybe that's sort of part of their strategy front row says tops was a monopoly for many many years the challenge with fanatics going public is they will be chasing quarterly performance so true and so i think it, it becomes so much more about about the investor than the customer when you are yeah. public and i know that from being in public and private companies big ones and that's that is that is I I think going to be a challenge for uh, for fanatics when they have to worry about invest about the investors more than the customer. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I've been a part of you know public and private companies, and just to be just to have the numbers crunched and and make sure they're they're nice and pretty and meet the street's expectations is that becomes the North star, right? Like, can I make the investors happy and, and keep my job as CEO, right? That's, that's, the, that's their motivation. So it'll be interesting to see how they're going to get, you know, how they're going to follow this North star of, 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 uh, and, and yet still be able to please wall street and investors into fanatics. Yeah. You know, again, I'm going to, I'm going to hope for the best with all this, but that's all I can do is sit back and hope I, you know, no control over. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll sit back and, and watch it and enjoy the hobby, no matter what happens. Uh, Grotman says, did fanatics make any comments on how they will brand their tops products? Will it be tops or something like tops by fanatics? Anything you learned about that? They did not mention anything about that specific branding. Um, I mean, they have a very clear tops brand and they have certain product lines that fall under tops brand, mostly, you know, baseball, MLS, Bundesliga, Star Wars. Um, and then they have a gentleman who is on, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he came in from zero cool and they were talking about stranger things and Dune and they, it was very clear though, very clear. They were zero cool products. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they plan to use basketball and football when that time, when that time comes, will it be tops basketball? Will they, will be, will we see tops basketball Chrome again and all the really cool products that were out, you know, only a decade ago or so. Um, but they did not mention. I, I think, yeah. I, I think we're going to see those products personally. I, th I think there's just too much equity to leave on the table, brand equity to leave on the table when yeah. that's where Le LeBron James rookie card is and Kobe and all I mean, It just makes so much yeah. sense. A piece of the game says top CEO David Liner was at printing facility in Texas for a substantial amount of time watching production and opening cases 
of finished goods. It was so excited. I was so excited to hear his angle. He seems in tune to all the current complaints. Like that's that's very encouraging. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm thankful the piece of the game for being in the chat tonight and sharing uh, his his uh, recollection of the Tops Conference uh, as well. So thank you so much for that. Uh, T dot here says as a longtime collector, when I want to buy a Gretzky rookie, there is the card. I was very turned off when at the LCS, when they said there was like a hundred McDavid, sorry, Tita, I, I can't decipher that comment. We're going to go on. Um, goes on to say, I believe it is in the card company's interest to produce cards with little quality control. Relatively speaking, it's cheaper and in cases can and increases condition scarcity, which I agree with those comments right there. Nick says, T-Dot, I agree the disparity between them, especially with recency bias, makes it magnified with the poor quality control and on and on. Okay. All right. Anything else about the TOPS conference, Al, that you want to share? We're going to wrap up in about five, 10 minutes, and I have another uh, question or two to ask you. No, I mean, I think I covered everything here. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see tops and how fanatics with tops is going to execute for at least the rest of this year and into the into the the, the long future ahead yeah no doubt about that um let me uh let me go to this one then you know just we're still early 2023 you came out of the tops conference uh, you're at the burbank show you're gonna be at the mint collective at the end of this month i'm gonna see you there right i, I i'm pretty close by i'm i'm, I'm almost there <laughs> you live there you live at the mid-collective so yeah you don't even need to fly in or get a hotel actually yeah. i should just be staying with you what am i what do i need to go absolutely. in jam for i'm gonna i'm gonna stay on the strip though because that's where all the fun is so so oh, no. but yeah i'm getting I'm, I'm going there definitely so how do you see the like listen i mean we've been talking about it but is there something you can say to kind of put a bow on how you see the hobby kind of progressing throughout the rest of 2023 and maybe even further than that. Like, you know, I could be doing anything else in this world. Right. But I choose to be in the hobby. And, and I think that says something, right. Not just because it's me, right. Like, like, I mean, tops and fanatics, they could be doing anything else, but, but they know there's so much opportunity from the financial perspective. I think there's tremendous amounts of upside in this industry. So I'm very, very bullish here. Is it going to be a straight path? Oh, heck no. It's, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road, especially as, as fanatics transitions over, right? I mean, there's going to be more quality problems. There's going to be pricing problems. There's going to be more supply chain issues, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, are, are we going to be happy with the hobby in general? And and I, I think as as a collector, as somebody that that sees it on the ground, um, I, I think I'm very very optimistic, very bullish with with what's going on. Yeah, I, yeah, me too. I'm I'm always bullish on the hobby. But when I say I'm always bullish on the hobby, I'm not saying that I'm always bullish on the investment returns in the hobby. I'm saying I'm always bullish on the enjoyment. I'm going to gain from being a participant in the hobby and from the, the, to the extent that, that being in the hobby enhances my quality of life and how much I just love being in the community. I love doing my content. I love my personal collection. I love buying cards. I love trading and selling cards into other great collections. You know, the, the hobby offers so many different uh, ways that you can just enhance your life. Do you feel that, I mean, listen, it's a redundant question, but 
how much does the hobby enhance your life? I mean, it, this is what I, I live and breathe every day. Like I am so motivated to, to see technology introduced in the hobby. And, and I really think we're still at the beginning. Like, like that first inning of just live shopping, just, I mean, I said it blew my mind, right? Like I could only imagine what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Next week, next month, next year. I mean, there's such cool technology, there's such cool stuff from Silicon Valley that has yet to make it over. And, and as the hobby matures and starts to adopt, you know, the new ways, um, I'm super excited to see, to see where, where we're going. Right. It's, it's going to be so awesome that I can predict. I know, man. It's like, it's like, I just want to keep on being a passenger on the train and watching as everything, watching as everything continues to evolve and change and more people come in and, you know, new athletes come in, come into our world and uh, command our collecting money from our collecting budget. Uh, this, this is a pretty fun, pretty interesting. I've, I've never had this comment before right here. T dot says my show is partially responsible <laughs> for his divorce. Uh, T dot. I don't know what to say to that. I, I'm, I, I'm either you're either I'm sorry or you're welcome. I'm not sure which which is appropriate here, but that's quite the comment, I must say. Uh, yeah. T dot, come to Vegas, end of the month. Hang out with Jeremy and me. We'll we'll we'll, we'll do something here in Vegas. We'll hang out. We'll, we'll we'll get into some trouble. You might need a trip to Vegas, T dot. If not, I'm sure I'll see you in Toronto uh, for the expo, which everybody is April 20th to 23rd, Toronto Expo. I'll definitely be there. I'll be at the Mint Collective. Hope to meet all of you and everyone who's coming uh, at these shows. If you see Al, approach Al. Say hello to him. Tell him you saw him on Sports Cards Live. You know, just high five, elbows, whatever it is, fist bump, whatever you want to do. Same goes for me. You see me there, just say hi. Really liked you. There we go. Dot's coming to Vegas. All right. Yes. Right on Right on. Dot. We'll see you there. And then we'll see you in, in Toronto after. All right, Al, we're, we're going to wrap up. I think we, we hit everything that we really wanted to. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say uh, thank LGC says, thanks, Alan. Love your passion. Yeah, you I do it. too. Good call out LGC. Thank you so much. Uh, Joe Perot says, thanks, Alan, for your many insights and passion for the industry. And Joe will be joining me on a brand new show in 10 minutes. 10 minutes from now, Joe's coming on. We're going to go live together on After Hours. Same place. Just watch the YouTube channel. And uh, we're going to go live in about 10 minutes for what I like to call, that'll be episode 76 of After Hours. Bobby Burrell says, it appears the hobby's at an interesting juncture. Are we like the stamp collectors who went from gumback stamped to sticker stamps? Time will tell. I don't know. The, the difference, one of the differences between stamps and cards is that and this is maybe not so much of a difference, but you know, stamps, letter mail is kind of not as as important anymore. It's still out there, but email took over. What is the what is the analogy there for sports cards? Well, the easy one is NFTs. But I got to tell you, there's no freaking way NFTs are ever going to encroach upon the sports card market, not in any significant way. I don't think because, I mean, if I if 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 I'm speaking for any other collectors out there. I have I have zero this much interest in NFTs. I don't think other people won't, but I don't think that they are really. It's it's like saying I'd rather 
instead of it's like no i'm gonna start collecting you know i i don't know um i'm gonna start collecting spoons i've used this one before it's like sports cards and spoons that that's as related to me as sports cards and nfts are underdog thank you so much chris saunders thank you for being here thank you mitch t dot says he says i'll bring the girls out <laughs> uh, Catherine, thank you so much appreciate you karen karen from the uk thanks for joining nine well, let me know how to pronounce your name. Send me a message. Tim Larson, good to see you in the crowd. Thanks for being here. Com uh, Collectors NFT League, that's page. Jeremy with Heritage Auctions. Good to see you. Tito says, NFTs are what Kindle is for books. Books will always exist. Catherine says, stamps and coins didn't bring in younger audiences, and that has hurt their long-term value. Differences, we're sports. We're sports. We're not like kings and queens and presidents on coins. We're sports which is just a bit different. Yvette Dye, thank you for being here. Good to see you. Mark, thanks for coming by. And Jeremy, you too. Chris Saunders, good stuff. All right, guys. Al, last comment to you, and then this one's over. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank you so much, Sports Cards Live Nation. I really, really enjoyed it. Looking forward to seeing everybody at the Mint Collective in Las Vegas. Thanks, Al. Please, please support Sports Cards Live sponsors, Veriswap, new sponsor Veriswap, and of course, Center Stage. Please give them some love. Download their apps, everybody. Thanks for being here. We'll be back again in seven minutes with Joe Perot on After Hours. Thank you, Jeff McMahon. Thank you, Double V. Good to see you again. And now this episode is actually officially over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.